I'm going to invite uh, Dr. Ken to come up. Him and Chrissy have been just amazing uh, members and leaders at our church. And they've all, I remember when you guys visited, and um, there was just a sense that you're pastors. Like, just the way you meet people. I'm like, that's how I meet people, you know? Your intentionality. And um, they've just, we've just plugged them right in, and they've been running 100 miles an hour. I'm not sure if that's what you wanted. But um, yeah, we're just so thankful to have the both of you with us. Of course, your family as well. Um, Kelsey, who led worship and so on. All right, so come on up. Thanks for sharing the word of God with us today, Dr. Ken. Um, this next month, we have in-house speakers. So after uh, Dr. Ken, Jake will be speaking for two weeks. And before that, Paul and uh, Patrick shared with us from Romans. And a big part of my heart is that uh, we can have guest speakers from a lot of different places, but I love having it from our community because we know them personally, and also we can get to know them uh, beyond these sermons, right? And so you guys see Dr. Ken every week, Patrick and Paul, and I would love for us just to not only hear the word, but know the teachers of the word, if that makes sense. I think that's the difference between, I could podcast so many great preachers, and I do, but I don't really know their life. I can't really sit next to them and have brunch with them. But me and Ken, we worked out together at his, in his garage. And I was totally dead, and he's like, we're halfway through. And then I crawled home. And you can have that same experience after the sermon. Thank you, Pastor Wilson, for, for the opportunity to be able to share. Um, thank you so much, church family, for embracing us into this amazing community. Um, you know, you guys have been so uh, loving and warm to Christy and myself, uh, to Justin, uh, Kelsey. Uh, thank you, Kelsey, for allowing your parents to follow you to church. <laughs> 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 you know, uh, last week, uh, you know, Paul had preached and he talked about the different stages in life, right? When you're 20, uh, you're trying to find yourself when you're 30, it's just a grind. Uh, when you're in your 40s, um, you, you, you know yourself. You're still trying to find yourself, but now you've got some money. Uh, right? So, but in your 50s and 60s, um, you know, you're on this, you know, you're, to you're getting closer to the end game. Your, your, uh, your health is starting to fail. Your memory is definitely failing, as you'll see. Um, but the, the passion in the 50s and 60s is really to impart. Uh, so, uh, you know, speaking for Chrissy and I, our desire, our passion is to impart uh, into this loving community uh, whatever experiences, mistakes that we've made uh, to support you guys to stay out of the way. Uh, and to, to be able to walk alongside uh, coaches uh, as, as, as opportunities arrive, arise. Um, so that's really our, our passion. And we've definitely hitched our wagon to yours. So uh, we're in it for the long haul and, and really appreciate you guys receiving us uh, into this amazing family. Today we're going to talk about union with Christ. Uh, in Romans 6, uh, something, a topic, um, a reality that is so important in our Christian lives and something that um, 
I don't think we emphasize enough. Uh, we think about it when we read Galatians and maybe some Ephesians, but right in the smack in the middle of Romans, uh, we're going to get a heavy dose of union with Christ. Um, so I, um, I'm excited to be able to unpack that with you guys. Uh, but first, let's look to the Lord for His anointing. Um, Lord Jesus, we are here to, uh, to be one with you, to be united with you in heart, in mind, in spirit. Um, we pray, God, that in the speaking of your word, um, that it would go uh, forth powerfully in, in our lives, transforming the very core of, of who we are to understand who we are in you. Uh, so would you, would you uh, have mercy on, on the speaker up here today as, uh, as we uh, allow your word uh, to speak into our lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So uh, let me read to you today the passage from Romans 6, uh, 1-14, uh, starting in verse 1. What shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? By no means. We are those who have died to sin. How can we now live in it any longer? For don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we will certainly also be united with him in a resurrection like his. For we know that our old self was crucified with him so that the body ruled by sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin because anyone who died has been set free from sin. Now, if we died with Christ, we believe that we also live with him. For we know that since Christ was raised from the dead, he cannot die again. Death no longer has mastery over him the death he died, he lived to sin, he died to sin once for all. For the life he lives, he lives to God. In the same way, count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body that you may obey its evil desires. Do not offer any part of yourself to sin as an instrument of wickedness, but rather offer yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and offer every part of yourself to him as an instrument of righteousness. For sin shall no longer be your master, because you are not under the law, but under grace. Thanks be to God. So just quick review where we've been in the first, second, uh, third chapters of, of Romans. The Romans is uh, Paul's very, very clear, an almost lawyer-like case for the gospel. He starts in the first few chapters talking about sin and our depravity and that uh, all have sinned and fall short of God's glory. Moving on in chapters 4 and 5, talking about salvation, that salvation is not by works. We are justified by faith and faith alone, uh, which now brings us uh, to this pivotal point. We move from salvation to this now concept of sanctification. So chapter 6 really pivots us from justification to sanctification. So we are justified by faith, Romans 3 to 5 tells us, and we are made right with God. So then the question is, what next? Or how then shall we live? 
And again, we're moving from justification to sanctification. Paul reminds us in Romans, in this portion of Romans, that indeed we were once a slave to sin. That in our fallenness, we were, our wills, our emotions were mastered by sin. The lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, the boastful pride of life, those things mastered our will and our desires. Our desire for material things, for money, sex, power, was even more desirable than the desire for righteousness, or for worship, or for glorifying God. But in Romans 5, as well as 6, we are now told that Jesus killed it. We are now set free from being slaves to sin. In Romans 5.19, last week, we finished with, just as through the disobedience of one man, the many were made sinners, but also through the obedience of one man, the many will be made righteous. Jesus Christ justified us and set us right with God. So then we pivot on this verse, Romans 6. What shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? And so this points to the what now? Now that we've been justified, we've been set free, we're no longer slaves to sin, how do we go forward? How do we live our life? And how do we continue to avoid going back and sinning? And so this is very much a rhetorical question that Paul uh, asked. Um, and, um, you know, that the, the sense of, Romans 5 saying, well, you know, when sin increases, all the more grace will increase, so why not keep on sinning? Which seems absurd and ludicrous. And so he says, no way. He answers this question in the, in the verses to follow. No way should we continue sinning, for we have died to sin and can't live in it anymore. We were baptized into Christ's death, verse 3. We were buried with him, verse 4. We were united with him in a death like his, and our old self was crucified with him. Our body ruled by sin was done away with, no longer slaves to sin. And verse 7, anyone who has died has been set free from sin. So the bottom line for this argument, where Paul says no way, is essentially summarized in dead people can't sin. When he died, we also died. Uh, so, the illustration that comes to mind is, you know, you see all these movies and, and you know, these epic movies where, you know, one army is, is battling against the other army, and, and after the long battle is done, you know, the victor walks around and literally is are kicking the, the fallen bodies to see if there's still life in them, and if, if, if there's still life, they, you know, make sure that they're dead. Uh, very much when sin looks at us uh, through the work of the cross, we are dead to sin. We are, you cannot kill a dead person. Uh, so we are dead to sin. Um, and this freedom from, from sin and from uh, the slavery to sin has both uh, a legal aspect and a relational aspect. So the, on the legal aspect, of course, we are justified uh, through faith. We said yes to Jesus. Jesus died on the cross, took his sin upon us, and that was all done. And all we need to do is say yes. We accept this by faith. 
we accept this. So it's almost as if someone drew up a contract and had all the conditions. Your sin is paid for. Sign here. Sign here. Okay. It's done. Right? So uh, it's almost um, like a legal document. And, and from that point of view, it almost seems too easy, right? Um, it, 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 you know, so if, okay, if Christ died, uh, my sins are forgiven, I signed that, then really the question is not so absurd. Why not keep on sinning? I can just pull up the contract again and say, look, you died for my sin, right? Uh, so uh, I can keep on sinning and just pull up the contract and say, I haven't forgiven. Uh, so that sense of legal, uh, the legal uh, contract falls short of really the totality of, of, of what Christ did in, in justifying ourselves before God. And, and that brings us to the other aspect, which is the relational aspect. Uh, the, the fact that, yes, also by faith, we entered into a relationship with Christ, a relationship uh, in where we were united with Christ in his death and in his burial and in his crucifixion. And if we, if we really dive into and take a deep look on that relational aspect, then we would come back to the question of Paul saying, now should we continue sinning? It'll be an emphatic, of course not. No way. And so we want to take a deeper dive into this sense here of this union with Christ. So Paul says that we were baptized into his death. And that's in verse 3. So all of us, who, who here has actually been baptized? Yeah, 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 okay. So in, in baptism, uh, it symbolizes our death, uh, our death in Christ to our old life, right? And, and we, we are immersed into a body of water where we can no longer breathe. Uh, so, so very much life is snuffed out and we are dead. It symbolizes our death in Christ. And then uh, raising up again uh, to breathe and, and to uh, take on new life. So very much this uh, baptism into his death is something that you and I, through faith, said yes, we, we trust that as we, as we fall backwards, uh, into the water, and we fall into death with Christ, that there is um, an integration with Christ's death, and, um, and it's not something that we physically need to do, but it's a, a, an act of faith and trusting uh, this falling into death and, uh, and being baptized with Christ. So... The, the relational aspect, the integration, the unity with Christ uh, is first emphasized through our baptism with him into death. Uh, secondly, it, the, in verse 4, it talks about being buried with Christ. So to be buried with Christ, um, even beyond death, you know, I, you know I've uh, seen more death than maybe people in the room, uh, and I've seen people... Uh, close to dying. I've seen people minutes before death, seconds before death. I've seen people actually transition to death and the minutes afterwards. 
Um, and there's nothing more solemn than to be sitting next to somebody and watching them literally taking their very last breath. Um, and it's almost like you wonder, you know, are they, are they really, really dead? Um, and is this their really, really their last breath? When we talk about uh, being buried, that comes even later than, you know, you're, you're no longer at the bedside, you're at the funeral. And now that person looks really, really dead um, and sometimes almost unrecognizable you know, as, as they're all made up and so on. So the sense that uh, we, we, we're buried with Christ, not only did we, we, we died, we, we were baptized with him, we, we've been buried with him. Uh, so that sense of really dead, dead uh, is, I think, underscored uh, in this passage. Uh, so our, our, our oneness in Christ is to be baptized with him unto death and to be buried with him. That's how far into death, death we need to go with Christ to be able to leave behind this, this world that, that we've been set free from. Um, and then it talks about, uh, you know, our old self was crucified with him. So we have been crucified with Christ. Um, and this passage, this sense of being crucified with Christ is something that, um, you know, it's really hard to grapple with. What does that mean, right? Um, that you and I have been crucified with Christ. Does that mean that we imagine ourselves um, nailed to the cross with Christ, you know, taking on the sins of the world and the weightiness of all that? Uh, it's, it's hard to wrap our minds around. Um, and I think that the, the closest I can uh, come to an understanding of being one in Christ, uh, uh, being uh, one in Christ, being crucified, is, is more, you know, Christ um, being unified with, with, with me and in my pain and suffering rather than the other way around. Um, you know, there was a time uh, about seven years ago uh, that uh, I was uh, severely injured. Uh, it started with a very innocent tennis game with Kelsey, and uh, it, uh, she, you know, she was really. Anyway, so um, I I wound up swinging too hard and and really uh, uh, hurting a snap in my back. And I literally was in so much pain I could not even stand. I had to, you know, lie on the ground. Um, and it turned out that I, you know, herniated not one disc but two <laughs> at the same time, uh, and it resulted in severe pain. And the compressed nerve caused uh, atrophy in my leg. My my left leg was half the size of, of my right leg, and so the severe pain and muscle atrophy made it so that. Uh, surgery was necessary. So I went through back surgery, not once, but twice. And ultimately, it was not successful. Uh, during the second back surgery, uh, the surgeon wound up fraying or cutting one of my major nerves. And so that left me with horrific uh, pain. Um, the, pain the, the type of nerve pain 
is indescribable in that uh, my left leg around my knee area felt like someone was pouring scalding oil on it 24-7. Uh, it was just an unrelenting, excruciating pain, uh, a mind-altering pain. So I was on over five different uh, medications, uh, different uh, pain meds and Neurontin and all of this to try to even temper down the pain. So during that uh, period of time, I, you know, they did a bunch of uh, epidural injections to try to uh, control the pain, and they were also not working. So they had to go uh, even more invasive, and a procedure called uh, splanchnic neurolysis, where essentially they take a needle that's about 18 inches long and they stick it through your back and they have to guide that into this uh, ball of nerves next to your spine and inject uh, alcohol to kill the nerves. And uh, this is a painful procedure and uh, the patient, me, uh, could not be sedated uh, because they needed to know when the needle actually hit the right spot. Right. So, ouch. Okay. So, yeah. So, I was, uh, I was on the on the table on the procedure table, and I remember this very vividly because the anesthesiologist said, "Well, you know, uh, our, our procedure rooms are full, but you need this right away. Can we borrow one of your procedure rooms?" And I'm like, "Okay." So I was actually being done on one of my room, my own rooms. Anyway, so. There I was, on the, laying on the procedure room, and he's getting things ready, and he says, you know, this is going to hurt. I said, I, I get it. And he said, um, so are, are you ready? And so while I was lying, literally face down on the procedure, uh, obviously not seeing the needle, but uh, envisioning what this needle was, was looking like. But anyway, uh, in, the, in that moment, uh, in my in my mind's eye, and it was very real to me. Uh, I saw Jesus standing in the room, uh, literally standing in the room next to me. Um, and I was like, okay, you know, Jesus, you you're in the room with me. Um, uh, that is so comforting, just to know that you're here, uh, that you will be here with me in my pain. Um, and literally, as he's moving towards the procedure, towards my back to put the needle in, I see Jesus uh, then uh, move from standing next to me and literally getting up on the procedure table and lying over me and actually uh, just uh, enveloping me uh, in his body. So then his body was superimposed and over, over mine. And I was like... This is this is so incredible, and and so then the anesthesiologist, pain management guy, was like, "Okay, here we go. The needle's going in." He says, "Do you feel the pain?" And I'm like, "No." And he says, "Okay, I'm in the right spot. I'm going to start injecting. It's going to feel painful." And he started injecting, and I'm like, "No, I, I don't feel the pain." And then the procedure's over, and I still didn't feel the pain. Uh, and so he was amazed. He was like, dude, you know, <laughs> usually people are, are writhing and, and, and you're not in pain. That's, that's uh, unbelievable. 
And, and so in, in that moment, it was just Christ uh, in union with me, enveloping my body, and taking on that, the pain of that uh, very sharp and painful uh, procedure and needle. And to me, that's the closest I, I can come with to, to envision being crucified with Christ in as much as we identify with Christ's death. I think even more so, he, he feels our, our pain. He, he takes on not only our sin, but the painful consequences of our sin, the tremendous guilt um, and sorrow and, uh, and pain that comes from our, our sinfulness. And he takes that all on just as he did in that procedure room. Um, so when we think about, you know, this question of can we continue to live in sin and we consider, um, you know, being one with Christ in his death and his burial and, 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 and his crucifixion. You know, I, I envision, you know, that our life of sin is like we're in this slimy, slimy pit, right? And, and we deserve to be there. And in this pit is, you know, all these toxic fumes that we're inhaling and, and these ravenous wolves are, you know, biting into our flesh and we, we have no way out. You know, but, but Christ jumps into the slimy pit and like he did in the procedure, he en envelops us and holds us and, you know, takes on the, the, the brutality of, of, the, of the flesh-eating animals and the toxin and so on. And he holds us until finally he dies holding us and then he steps out of that into life and he releases us into a new life. Um, that is Christ in us. That is union with Christ uh, in his death, in his burial, and in his crucifixion. So when we try to answer this question from Paul, so should we go on sinning that grace may abound? From the legal side of the contract, do it again, maybe it's not so absurd. But from the, the relational aspect of being uh, Christ's uh, union with us in death, burial, and crucifixion, there's just no way. Just no way. You know, it's like the dog returning to the vomit or whatever. It's, you would never want to jump back into the slimy pit. Not only because it's a slimy pit, because of what Christ had, has done to get us out. Would, would we ever even think of going back there? Would we ever even think of that? Uh, 2 Corinthians 5.21 God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. So it's in him that we become righteous. Uh, 1 Corinthians 1.30 It is because of him that you are in Christ Jesus who has become for us wisdom from God that is, our righteousness, our holiness, and our redemption. So our union with Christ goes even beyond justification. It takes us to holiness and to sanctification. Which then leads us to the following uh, portion of the passage. Uh, now, if we died with Christ, we believe that we also 
live with him. Um, and we know that since Christ was raised from the dead, he cannot die again. Death no longer has mastered over him. But the life he lives, he lives to God. In the same way, count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ. So again, the union in Christ is key in our, what next? In our life of sanctification. Uh, so sanctification is just a, a big word for growing in our Christ-likeness. Uh, it's a, a moral transformation that is ongoing that God moves us into holiness, in the process of perfecting us to be more and more each day like Christ. And so uh, this union with Christ is also key to our living this life of sanctification and holiness. Um, you know, I remember even when I was uh, an intern, this was back in, at Rhode Island Hospital, I was wrestling with this concept of union with Christ and what does it mean to abide in Christ and Christ in me and, uh, and I in Christ and, and be unified with Christ. And I remember uh, even going to the hospital early and, and going into the chapel and praying, God, you know, Jesus, I pray that you would abide in me that I, and I in you, that you and I would be in union today. Um, and, you know, even as an intern, lowly intern, low, low man on the totem pole, you know, that desire, I think, to, to be one with Christ in my work, in my everyday life, uh, doing scut work as an intern and so on, really, I think, uh, transformed my experience. Uh, and, I, and I remember uh, specifically, you know, there was you know, one elderly uh, uh, lady who, who was battling with cancer, and, and she was uh, down the hall in a four-bedroom, uh, in a room, and, and we made rounds, and, and she seemed distant and, and kind of disconnected. And, and, and with this prayer of Jesus, abide in me, and as I abide in you, I just had a heart for her. Um, and I was on call, and I remember going home and grabbing my guitar. Now, you got to realize that I really suck at the guitar. And I, I, I think I learned like three or four chords. That's all I need. That's all I need, you know. Um, and, and I brought it into the hospital. My resident was like, what are you doing? And I was like, I'm just bringing my guitar in. And, you know, it was like at night, and I took my guitar into the dark room, and, you know, I tapped her and said, you know, would you like me to play a song for you? And she looked at me, she's like, yeah, I would love that. And, you know, I struggled through the song and I played it for her and, you know, and, you know so, you know, you know, even even now at work, uh, there are times that, you know, I'm, I'm, you know, going from patient to patient and I'm washing my hands and, and then I, and I look at these hands and I, and there are moments when, um, I, I look at these hands and I say, well, these, these are the hands of Christ. You know, what, um, what would these hands be doing today? Um, who, who will they be touching and uh, ministering to? Um, um, and, and that really 
um, transforms our perspective. It really uh, changes us. Um, we, we take on the hands of Christ. We take on the eyes of Christ. When we take on his eyes, we look into nature and we see incredible beauty. Uh, we look into the eyes of people and we see what Christ sees. I mean, I look at you guys, you are so beautiful. And because Christ sees that in each of you. Um, so this life of sanctification, to be one with Christ um, as we live day to day is, uh, is so magical and so transformative. Um, in Ephesians 2.10, for we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works. Um, so we are created in Christ Jesus, and, and the works that he has have already been set before us. And we go about doing these good works in Christ Jesus, not on our own, but in Christ and through him. His hands, his feet, his eyes. Second uh, Corinthians five seventeen. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed. Behold, the new has come. Uh, so very much the sense that in Christ we are given new life, and we are truly a new creation. Our spirit is is new, is renewed, uh, as God's spirit uh, comes in and and recreates us, and we are a new creation. The, the old body is crucified, uh, and we are entering into the, the newness of being in Christ. Um, so this last passage, this portion of passage, uh, Paul goes on and says, therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its evil desires. Do not offer any part of yourself to sin as an instrument of wickedness, but rather offer yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life. Offer every part of yourself to Him as an instrument of righteousness, for sin shall no longer be your master, because you are not under the law, but under grace. Inasmuch as we have been set free, sin is no longer our master, yet we are still able to sin. Uh, we live in this already, but not yet. So though sin does not rule, sin can still catch us and snatch us. And you know, the analogy someone once made was that sin is like the dragon who's literally living inches beneath your feet. You know, we go about life uh, somehow thinking that you know, as, as believers, as Christians, uh, we will not fall to sin. Uh, that's, that's probably the most dangerous thought you can have, because obviously sin prowls around like a lion, and, and Satan has schemes that are planned and designed specifically to take you out or to make you fall. Um, and so very much it's not something we want to uh, take for granted. So Paul then in this portion uh, begins to give us some insight into how we battle with sin and how we avoid sin. Um, so very much uh, it's a battle. Um, so, so.
So some of these images I got off the website, I guess there's the actual game called Battlefield. <laughs> I've never played it, but it's real. It's real? Okay. Right. So some of these images are from Battlefield. Um, so the language in this passage does imply a battle, uh, one in which the battle is over who rules your body. Uh, so the passage talks about uh, a reign, so there's a, there's a kingly throne, uh, and, and, and sin is vying to reign over your life, over your body. Obviously there's a challenger, the rebel, sin, um, and this rebel is trying to reign over you. Uh, sometimes we think of sin as the act or behavior, but very much sin is actually the, uh, is, is a power that wants to rule and wants to take over. So your job is to defend your town or your castle, uh, your mortal body, uh, and to protect it. Um, so how does this all work? How does sin work? Well, one of the ways sin works in this passage, it talks about our desires. And you can, uh, you can envision our desires as our servants, the servants that are in the, in the castle. Uh, and these desires, in and of themselves, are not evil. Uh, they're neutral. Uh, they may be desires for food, or desire for, for comfort, desire for friendship, desire for connectedness, desire for respect, desire for uh, affirmation. These are not bad things. These are our desires. But what sin will do is to strategize to turn your servants, these desires, into traitors and conspirators against the throne. Uh, so these desires are appointed by God to serve us are now lured into following after sin and obeying uh, sinful desires and turning them against ourselves. And so when our servants are these desires then turn and align with evil, uh, then the instruments and in the passage, the word instruments, the Greek is actually more like weapons, so it does fit with this battlefield uh, analogy. These weapons then, uh, the desires turns the weapons against you. Um, so these are members of our bodies, our eyes, our ears, our tongues, our hands and feet, our sexual organs, our vocal cords, our hearts. Now turn and desire turns them against us uh, and they follow sin and become weapons of unrighteousness as opposed to weapons of righteousness. And ultimately then, uh, when this strategy uh, gets to its end point, you know, sin happens and sin uh, results in death. And there's so many passages in scripture where sin and death are together because the result of sin is always, always destruction and death. You know, there are times when we think, um, okay, my, you know, my sin is just a personal thing. It doesn't affect anyone. No one's affected by it. Um, but that's not true. Ultimately, when there's sin, there's destruction and death. Uh, small or large, sin destroys, sin maims, and it kills. And, and I think of my own life and the sins that I've committed. Um, you know, the the effects, the destruction that has happened uh, is 
the memories and the scar is still there. You know, sure, yes, we are, we are forgiven. Uh, we are made right with God. Uh, our sins have been uh, forgiven, and and we are given uh, a new, uh, uh, you know, a new slate. But the destructive effects of those sins are still there. Um, the scars are still there. The 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 result of sin is still. Uh, in our memories, and um, you know, I wish we all wish we can turn the clock back and not do it or undo it, uh, but it's not possible. And so, uh, you know, sin is not to be trifled with. Uh, sin is so destructive to ourselves, to our families, to the ones that we love, and ultimately to God, uh, who we are now one with. Uh, sin is. A destructive force. Um, so finally, you know, the the question of well, how do we win this battle against sin? And a lot of these we've already talked about. You know, Christ died for your sin, um, and you died and rose with Christ, and you have become united with Christ, um, and consider yourselves dead to sin. So when sin comes around, you're you're dead. Uh, sin can no longer uh, have a stronghold on you and allow God's spirit uh, to rule and to empower you uh, to understand the strategies of the evil one and sin and desires uh, and to be preemptive and and finally in, in uh, chapter 6 verse 13 it says offer yourself instead to God every part is an instrument of righteousness so I think you know a lot of times we want to work on avoiding sin but actually, if we focus on the, on the things of God and use our bodies as instruments of righteousness, you know, then, then we are also avoiding sin. Uh, so, you know, my encouragement to each and every one of us is, um, again, that, you know, that sin is something that Jesus conquered. It no longer has mastery over us. Um, and this life I now live, you know, I live in oneness with Christ. So to ever go back is crazy stupid. Um, to, to go forward and to live uh, life, a sanctified life through the eyes, hands, and feet of Christ um, is life-giving. As we focus uh, to be, to offer every member of our bodies as instruments of righteousness in our union with Christ. Um, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we uh, just thank you again for, for you. Uh, Jesus, you, we can't even get our minds around this crazy love where you um, became one with us in our stinky slime, in our sinful nature, in, um, in our sin. Uh, and you enveloped us, you um, became one with us. And we died with you. And we were buried with you. And we were crucified with you. 
in order that we may then step into this new life, this life of being in Christ for all the good works that you have for us. So um, we thank you, God, for reminding us of this amazing reality of being one with you. And so what we want to do just as a time of reflection as the worship team you know, begins to play is, is just, um, you know, look, look at the things that uh, we've been dabbling with, things that we've been uh, playing with, and, you know, that, that, stenchy pit hole that God took us out of, we, we, we didn't completely close the lid on that. It's still kind of open and we still have been playing around just outside its opening. And in this time of reflection just God, allow God to shine light on that. And in light of His oneness with us in death, burial, and crucifixion, you still really want to keep that open? Christ this morning would you have the courage to slam that lid closed that the stench and the smell is no longer and you can completely step out of that into the life that Christ suffered and died for you to enjoy. The beauty that he wants your eyes to gaze on. His hands become yours. Your feet become his. Give yourself completely, every part of yourself, to become instruments of love and peace and grace and righteousness. dead to sin. You're dead, dead, dead. Leave that stench behind. Walk into your new life that you have been created. 
as you just embrace this and grapple with this. We want you to also participate and be one with Christ in death through the taking of communion. There are two ordinances in our Christian life. The ordinance of baptism, the ordinance of communion. Both symbolize our union with Christ. Both symbolize our partaking with Him in death to sin, but alive Feel free during this time to, to get up. And there are two um, communion stations, one in the back, one in the front. But as you receive and partake of his body and his blood, may you become one with.